Okay. We're doing now Monday's portion of the combined partials of Matos and Masay. And in Sunday's portion, it's because of what had happened in the previous two partials, we have a war. If we remember, Balak had hired Bilaam to curse the Jews. God did not let, and therefore the Jews were fine and blessed with beautiful prophecies, tremendous transformation from evil to godliness. But Balak and Bilaam, somehow despite seeing this, retained their enormous evil, enormous hatred of the Jews, and they had to figure out another way. So Bilaam came up with a plot, and he said, their God hates immorality and idolatry. So if we seduce the men and bring them to sin with immorality and idolatry, uh, their God will take care of them. And that's what they did. And unfortunately, one tribe did succumb, and 24,000 of them sinned. 24,000 of them died by a plague that God sent. And then Pinchas very valiantly stopped the plague by murdering in the act the prince of this tribe of Shimon, who was blatantly, very brazenly engaged in this immorality with these women from Midian. Midian and Moab were together in this plot. At this point, all that has passed now we have to turn to the Midianites and fight a war with them for what they did. And that happened yesterday in the Chumash. And now we're continuing learning what happened post the war. And the war was a very godly war. The war was not the entire army of the Jews. There were 600,000 of them plus. Only exactly 1,000 per tribe went. 12,000 soldiers. And yet, with God's help, they miraculously defeated everyone, including slaying Philip. Continuing today, we're now in chapter 31 of Matos, and we are up to verse 13. So now the soldiers are returning. They went out. Elizabeth, Moshe, Elazar, the Kohen. This is, of course, after the passing of Aram, so now it's with Elazar, his son, and the princes of the community to greet them outside the camp. Now, why did they go out, Rashi says, because they saw that some of the youth were going to seize some of the plunder, meaning these people came back not only miraculously victorious, but also laden with all the booty of the wars, with people, with animals, with possessions. Moses was angry. Moshe was angry with the commanders of the army, at the officers of the thousands, and at the officers of the hundreds who returned from the army service of the war. And why was he angry at the officers? Because they were appointed over the army. So if there's a corruption, the people in charge are the ones that are, so to speak, guilty, even though they're not doing anything wrong, they're supposed to stop the other people. Moshe said to them, did you let every female live? They were the very same ones who, on Bilaam's advice, were involved with the Jewish people to cause them to commit a betrayal against God regarding the matter of Peor, that was the idol that they served before they committed this immorality that the plague broke out within the community of God. In other words, these are the very same ones. They recognize them. They can point and say, oh, this, this girl, yeah, she's the one that caused so-and-so's downfall. Bringing the advice of Bilaam, because as we're saying, Bilaam was the one that said, listen, we're never going to get them by physical means. But their God hates immorality. Now, execute every male among the children and every woman with intimate knowledge of a man you shall execute. 
So Rashi explains, because it seems from various phrases of the verse, it's not clear to us. We're talking here about every woman capable of intimate relation, which our sages explain means from age three. So they were bringing them before the fifth, the golden head plate from the garments of the high priest. And these capable, their faces turned like a sickly green. And these had to be killed. Now, if we look in the verse, you shall execute is repeated twice. Now, execute every male among the children and every woman with infinite knowledge of man, you shall execute. We don't need that second phrase. We heard it the first time. So, Rabbi Shimon says we're separating. Why are we creating a separation? Because of the next verse, what are we talking about there? So here, execute every male and every woman with intimate knowledge of all the children. And then if, if we didn't have that phrase, you should execute, we just go on to the next phrase, all the children among the females. So who are we talking about there? What do we do? So therefore we have this separation saying every male, no matter his age, is executed. Every woman capable of intimacy is executed. Pause, stop. Now the next verse, the children among the females, those younger than three, those live. As the verse says, all the children among the females without intimate knowledge of the men, keep alive for yourselves. You shall be outside the camp for seven days. Whoever has killed a person or touched a corpse, purify yourself on the third day and on the seventh day, you and your captives. So now, saying that all these people have to be killed because all these people were the ones that, in other words, in a normal situation of warfare, we would think just to kill the men. The men who are fighting, the men who are capable of becoming the fighters, and the women and children, you think they'd be left alive. In this case, the women were really part of the destruction of the Jewish people. They were very intimately part of the destruction of the Jewish people because the Jewish people, 24,000 of them died because of these women. These women were literally put themselves on the street to seduce these men and bring them to idolatry and adultery. So therefore, unlike in normative warfare situations, all these women that did this had to be killed. So they were all part of the destruction of God's people. We can't even imagine that. When I was doing this two portions ago, two weeks ago, and thinking 24,000 people died like that suddenly. And these women were caught. So now you, meaning the soldiers, is one that are doing all this killing, they're say out to the camp. Now Rashi explains because there were three camps. There's a camp of the Jewish people. Then there's a camp of the Levites where Moses and the, the priests and Levites all camp. And then there's the camp of the divine presence where the tabernacle is. But that's outside the camp, clarifies it means literally that most inner and holy camp of the tabernacle. So who has been been outside the camp whoever has killed a person or touched a corpse? So killing a person here means killing with an object capable of receiving contamination. Because you, even though you didn't directly touch the person, that object that you use is defiling you, the person using it, when it's in contact with the corpse, it's as if you touch the corpse. So what if you shot an arrow? Now, you're not literally, your hands aren't on the arrow when the arrow is killing. 
So it says no. Because if you note know what the verse said, the verse said whoever has killed a person or touched a corpse. We're making connection between the killing and the touching. That just as by the touching there's direct contact, that's what's causing the contamination, so too by the killing. If a person took a stone and threw it and the person died, they wouldn't have the contamination. But if a person was holding a sword, even though they're not touching the, the corpse, the edge of the sword is, since they're touching the sword that's touching the corpse, they receive contamination. It says purify yourself. So we purify ourselves with these holy waters, meaning as we learned a few portions ago, waters mixed with the ashes of the red cow was sprinkled on the contamination, just as anyone who had any contact with the dead. So we could say, wait a minute. We thought, obviously all these people that they killed were not Jewish, but we thought that the non-Jewish of the Gentiles jumped on contamination. So I should clarify, there is a controversy over that. Some people say they do, and some people say they don't. What they're talking about there isn't direct contact of touching a corpse or touching the sword that fills the corpse, fills the person that makes them a corpse. But they're talking about a different type of contamination when you go into a building or a room in which there's a dead body. So in other words, if a, if a Jewish person dies and he's in the house and you walk into that house or in that house and he dies, you become impure, you're not touching him, you're obviously not killing him, you're not touching something that's touching him. The very fact that the Jewish person died creates such impurity in this structure that everyone in this structure becomes impure. You're even in a different room in the structure, you're impure. The question is, is that true also for Gentile passes away? And that's disputed point. But we're talking here not about that. We're talking about literally touching the dead, carrying the dead, touching that object that killed the dead like the sword. So in that context, of course, all agree, you become impure of contact with sin. So it says you and your captives have to go through this process, which the captives are all non-Jews. So what does that mean? Like, well, this thing, non-Jews don't absorb impurity the same way a Jew does. So what we're talking about here, it's not like in the morning a non-Jewish woman has to, if she's very virtuous, has to wash negloss the same way a Jewish one does it. She's not Jewish. She's not receiving this type of impurity. So Rashi says it means if they decide to convert, then they would have to go through the sprinkling if they become contaminated, the sprinkling to purify. Every garment, every leather article, everything made of gold products, and every wooden article should undergo such purification. From gold products, Rashi clarifies means not just what you might think of as the, the meat of the goat, but the horns, the hooves, the bones, anything. So those are the priests, it's actually the high priest, this is those who came to the war. This is the statute of Torah which God commanded Moshe. Now, why is suddenly a lover here telling them what to do? Moshe is the one that's telling them these rules. The Rashi says that Moshe was angry at how the soldiers had behaved with some of them running out to seize the booty Therefore, he fell into the state of error, which means he forgot, or it was concealed from him, as Hirashi puts it, not that he forgot. It was concealed from him the laws concerning cleansing the utensils of the Gentiles. As we find another situation, of course, my is absolutely perfect. Hirashi is speaking about this idea of if you're angry, start making a mistake. We understand this to mean a lesson of how we're supposed to behave. 
and not really an indication of what Moshe was doing because of his stature, of course, we know he's not making mistakes. And Elizabeth here says, you know, I'm, obviously I'm not reading these laws. I mean, how do I know the laws? Who am I to know the laws? I'm not Moshe. But God commanded Moshe this, so he's crediting the teaching to Moshe. That's how I know this as well. Only the gold, silver, copper, iron, tin, and lead. So Moshe warned you about the laws of ritual and cleanliness, how you have to purge yourself through the whole process of sprinkling, of separation, and sprinkling the third and seventh day with uh, the waters, with the ash of the red heifer. But we also have discussed here the laws of purging all of these metals. Now it says only, that was how the list began, only the gold, silver, copper, iron, tin, and lead. So we with only. So only implies inclusion. So what's the exclusion? So one version is, now the Rosh gives two explanations, both of which we follow. Only means you are excluded. Only is exclusion. You are excluded from using these utensils, even after their purification and contamination by the dead, until they're purified from the absorbing of forbidden meats, which is what we're now going to explain how to purify them. That's one explanation. The only the exclusion is you're excluded from them until this process is completed. Another explanation is only means the exclusion here is there can't be any other metal combined, any rust. Only the metal. You have to remove all rust. That's the exclusion. Only the metal itself can go through this purging. But any rust, which we consider a foreign substance, or for that matter, we would say dirt, has to be included. That would be a foreign substance. All that has to be cleansed before we can purify these metals. So only the metals as they are in their purity and everything else, like rust, has to be removed. That's the exclusion of only. Anything placed of these metals on a fire, you must pass through fire and it will be purified. However, it must be purified with sprinkling water. But anything of these metals that was not placed on a fire, you may pass through water. So basically what Rashi, what the verse is explaining here is, we're talking here about these items that absorbed forbidden food particles because they were used with fire while cooking forbidden food. Tricks. So the rule is that the metal absorbs forbidden food in the way it was initially absorbing the forbidden food, meaning the metal is cleansed of the forbidden food. So these minuscule forbidden food, tray food particles, are absorbed in the walls of the pot. How do we release them? Well, the degree of heat which opened the pores for absorbing this trace during the preparation of an unkosher food is reopened for release during the purging. So, the purging agent has to parallel the utensils used. It was used with water for cooking. The recooking with water is going to purge it. It's going to be the same heat. If it was used on a spit, meaning directly on the fire, we have to reheat it over an open flame because whatever degree of heat was used whatever was the manner of use by which the initial impurity was absorbed, that's the heat that has to be applied now to open up those pores to cleanse it. The Rashi explains this. If you cooked, if it was a pot that was placed on a fire to cook something, you've got to do it the same way. If it's something with heated water, you purge it with heating water. It was used for roasting, you bring it to white heat with fire. You're doing the exact same thing. 
Then we say, however, once we purify with sprinkling water. So what are we talking about here? We just spoke about purging it in what we would call, of course, today, kashering, that the manner of heat with which it absorbed the forbidden is the manner of heat which was requested from the forbidden, which is exactly the rules we follow today. If we are going to make an item kosher, that for whatever reason absorbs in kosher. But what's this addition about sprinkling with the sprinkling water? So there's two ways Rashi explains this here. One is we additionally need to cleanse it from contamination of the dead. So the same water that was sprinkled on the people is also being sprinkled here. Um, so in other words, there's two cleansing these metals need. One, they need purging from the prohibitive food. They need kashering. And two, they need purification to cleanse them from the ritual contamination of contact with the dead, just as the people have to go through this sprinkling with the holy waters, so too these metals have to. That's one interpretation. Another explanation is that even for the purification from prohibited food contamination, meaning to make it kosher, metal utensils require sprinkling, meaning they require immersion in a mixer. So these waters here is really a reference to the waters suitable for the, as it says here, the Meinida, waters suitable for the Nida woman to be immersed and cleansed, which is the waters of the mixer, 47. But if something wasn't used with fire, it, it was a cup. It was used for cold food, so it didn't absorb. And then it's enough just to immerse them in that mikvah waters, and that's sufficient. Now, all of this, of course, only applies, as we see here, with metal utensils. We listed all the metals. So the only metal utensils we have the ability to make kosher from forbidden foods. If it was like pottery or clay, they would just have to smash it. They wouldn't be able to use it at all. They would be able to purge it of the contamination. You shall immerse your garments on the seventh day and become purified. After it may come into the camp. The camp here again meant that most holy camp of the divine presence of the tabernacle, because the other two camps are allowed this whole time. Okay, so we did not finish, but we are definitely way over our time. If this was a, a portion, this was a time when Matos and Mase were separated, this would be actually Tuesday's portion. But since it's combined, it's the first part of Monday's portion and we have quite a bit more. So we'll stop at this point.